Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And once again, he is risen. I just can't get enough of that. And I thought, you know, Lyle just stole my line back there a little bit. That was all right, though. <laughs> if you've been with us for the last uh, Holy Week, over Holy Week, you've been hearing me talk about um, how the ancient rabbis um, compared the words in the Bible to a gem, a precious gem. And they said that just like when you turn a precious gem and you see different light reflecting from it, um, that's how Scripture works for us. And they said that Scripture had 70 faces or 70 facets on it. And every time we read a verse, we might see something new. We might learn something new in it. And, um, you know, it got me thinking there's some gems that are making headlines these days. Oh, great, the screen is on. All right, this makes more sense now. Uh, this is called the Eternal Pink Diamond. The Eternal Pink Diamond. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of new on the market. And it's, I don't know how many carats, 10.57, I think it was, is what I read. Uh, but um, it's, it's going on auction. And guys, if you haven't gotten that special Easter gift for someone special, they're estimating that it's going to go for $35 million, this, this rock right here, this precious gem right there. And even though this is a still picture, um, you can still see the brilliance and the light shining through. And you can imagine if you turn it in your hand, um, you know, just like that gem reflects light. Like I said, the, the words of God reflect light. So um, throughout this series, I've been using um, these, these little guys right here, which are great to put in your pocket. But then I said, I saw this one. I thought, you know what? We got to start really representing God's words here. We got to really represent the, the light that God shines through us and what he does in his words. Because like I said, sometimes we might see a familiar passage. And today we're going to read passages that are familiar to us, that we've heard before. And like I've said all week long, I'm trusting that you know the story here. We're, you know, if you didn't know the story here, you know, that's why we do these uh, children's messages so that we get the story out there. So we all understand, you know, the, our starting point, you know, where we're starting out. But as we keep looking at God's words, the, the rabbis would say, as you keep turning the gem, you know, you see, keep seeing different reflections. You keep seeing different light shine on it. And like I said on Friday night, sometimes if we look deep enough into these verses, we can actually see our own reflection coming back at us. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that's a very comfortable place to be. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more this morning as we, as we turn that gem. So now, when it comes to these um, historical accounts that I always say, you know, these aren't stories. These are historical accounts. These are eyewitness accounts that would literally stand up in any court in, in the country. And so that's what we're going for here. But as we read these historical accounts, um, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, right? He gathers us around together so that we can be together and listen to these things and, and, and glean from them and learn from them and imagine ourselves in those scenes at that time as if uh, we had some sort of a time machine that we could go back and we could stand with those people and, and experience what, what they were experiencing. And again, that's the case that we talk about with Easter here, right? And when we look at the Easter story and we look at how, it, how they stack up in the four Gospels, we learn a lot from what was going on here. We learn a lot what happened in that day. Different writers give us different details at different moments about different parts. But what I want us to talk about this morning is try to imagine the shock that these people were experiencing, the shock of the, that the people at the tomb were experiencing. We're going to talk about the experience of some of those people and, and how, how that fits into our lives and what difference it makes, right? And hearing these things, what difference does it make? How do we bring these ideas and this message out that door and into places um, that need to hear it? 
So, all right, so, all right, the big concern, the women were going to uh, the tomb because they put Jesus in the tomb on Friday night in, in haste. And they said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do this right. We're going to go and we're going to get the body ready to go and everything. But they had some concerns going over there, right? The big one was, uh, what were they going to do with that huge boulder that was in the way? But when they got there, as you heard a moment ago, much to their surprise, that, that whole huge stone, that boulder, was already moved out of the way. They had to be thinking a couple things, though, when they were talking about, it. like I said up here, you know, uh, there's some ideas that, you know, that that body of Jesus was stolen, brought away from some, by somebody else until, um, you know, those other things started to come out. So here's how Luke describes it. Do we have it up there? We don't have it. Do we have very early on Sunday morning, right? Very early on Sunday morning. Excellent. Uh, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had already been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, uh, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they go there, they find the stone rolled away, Jesus is gone. Um, they see some angels in this place, right? And the stone, the angels sitting on top of the stone, talk to them, and they freaked out a little bit, right? And I think that's understandable because, you know, they left the tomb rather frazzled and, and rather shaken. Um, and uh, they say it was actually that they trembled, right? They fled from the tomb. Look at what Mark says. We're going to stack up a couple of different writers, then we're going to key on Matthew. Uh, Mark 16, 8 says, The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened, right? But then when they started talking to the disciples, they were all talking at once, you know, as women have a tendency to do sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Ah, just saying, I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, oh, that's my show, thank you very much. <laughs> but they're all talking at once, they're excited, you know? And the, the disciples said, well, this doesn't make any sense at all, that you, what you guys are talking about. First of all, we can't really understand the words you're saying. And second of all, the message that you're giving us, that the stone is rolled away and Jesus is gone, makes absolutely no sense. But now, let me ask you this. If you were there, if you were at that scene, one of those people, how would you go about describing what happened? How would you go about describing what took place at that, at that moment? Um, and like I, like I said, now, and we have to tie this in. I'm going to tie this in a little bit later about our own experiences. You know, how God has moved powerfully in our lives, each and every one of our lives. How do we convey that message to somebody else? These guys had mind-blowing news to tell everybody, and they couldn't figure out how to do it. How do we do that? But before we get to all that, I want to talk about a little bit more about the scene that happened here, what they were really experiencing and how mind-blowing this really is. And like I said, I chose to hear from Matthew this morning because he uses some incredible words to describe the whole scene, to describe what was happening. For example, we read it a moment ago, but Matthew 28, uh, verse 2, it says, Behold, um, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. That word, behold... One of my favorite ones in the New Testament. It's like a wow moment, right? Or a check it out kind of moment. But this, and we use actually different words to, to um, translate into behold. This one is uh, more, it's even bigger. It says something like, you're never going to believe what happened. And then it, it also, you know, if we're telling a story about you're never going to believe what happened next, right? That's the kind of word that he's using here. So he's really setting up what's going on here. You guys are never going to believe this, right? You've been on a great trip or something like that, and you're telling the story, something amazing happened, and you're never going to believe what happened. That's exactly what Matthew was saying here. It's the, it's the Greek word, edo, and it's almost like saying, you know, you're, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to tell you anyway. He says there was a great earthquake. Um, the NLT says great. Um, this um, translation says severe earthquake. And that in itself is rather amazing. Um, do you know that the odds of an earthquake are greater here in Wisconsin than they are in Jerusalem? <clears throat> Did you know that Wisconsin has had earthquakes? Earthquakes in Wisconsin. Okay, trivia time here. When was the last earthquake that happened in Wisconsin? 
May 6, 1947, just south of Milwaukee. The people there thought it was an explosion. And they said, no, no, it, ra it ranked like uh, 2.5 or 2.6, something like that on, on the Richter scale, something like that. But um, this one that we're talking about here, um, this word severe, or if you look in the NLT, it says great. That's one of the Greek words you might want to take home with you this morning. This is the Greek word mega. All right, that's where we came. All right, all right. So it's a mega earthquake, right? Mega earthquake, huge, enormous. And just like, you know, the people down south of Milwaukee, by the way, we do live on a fault line. I don't know, you guys don't know this, just trivia for you. You got all that for free. I wasn't planning on telling you any of that. Um, so uh, the people in, in, in uh, Jerusalem at the time also thought it was kind of an explosion that happened. Just like those people down south of Milwaukee thought it was an explosion, this earthquake. And by the way, that the, the Greek word for earthquake um, is a seismo, like where we get our word seismograph to measure how big an earthquake is. So there was this mega seismo that happened here, mega seismo. No question about it, it was an, an earthquake. The second one, by the way, because one happened when Jesus died on the cross. We need to talk about that on Friday night. We need to talk about those, that scene. But Jesus died on the cross, and the earth shook, right? And the temple, the curtain was torn, and all, so all these things happened. So, again, there was an explosion when he died and an explosion at his resurrection. And this next part of the story, right? That whole part of the story. And Matthew is saying, and then you're not going to believe what happened after that. You're not going to believe what happened after that. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Um, obviously, you guys know me by now. I'm a word guy, right? This, this word, um, rolled away, is a unique word. And now, we have a lot of Greek writing. We have you know, a lot of uh, the Kone Greek is what the Bible is written in. We have a lot of Kone Greek writing. This is the only time we see this word rolled away used in any writing anywhere. Rolled away. Uh, we use it uh, four times in the gospel. And it's only used here to talk about rolling away the stone from Jesus' tomb. That's where we see this word. So that's how unique this whole thing is. And by the way, historically speaking, um, the graves in Palestine were um, were in depressions, in, in lower areas. That's why when John talks about going to the grave, going to the scene, going to the tomb, he says he had to stoop to look down because there's it's kind of a little hill, a little depression that goes down, and then the opening is going to be there. So now this the stone that they roll in front of it goes down into that depression, kind of chunks goes down into that depression. And then as we look at this from a historical standpoint, um, they say that back in the day, um, a small tomb took 20 men to roll the stone in front of the tomb, in front of the grave. 20 people in a small one. But Mark says that this stone was mega. mega. Thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Yes, this stone was mega. The one that he rolled in front of the Because think about this. The religious authorities didn't want this stone moved ever. They wanted that to stay in place for eternity, right? So this is a monster stone in front of this tomb. Right? So, okay, so here we go. So now the angel comes in, and apparently the angel was mega too. We don't actually hear them say that, but the angel rolls this stone away, right? He pulls the stone away from the front of the tomb, and then it says he sits on it like a stool. He just was sitting on top of this mega stone like a stool. So this angel is huge. So, um, again, this all checks out when you think about it because the guards freaked out when they saw this angel, right? 
They freaked out, and they, the women didn't have a plan on how to get this stone rolled away, and the 16 guards that were assigned to guard the tomb, the 16 guards wouldn't have been enough to roll one of the smaller stones away, let alone this mega stone, right? There's some details that they put in here that are just hidden, just under the surface, but as we turn the gem around a little bit, we start to see it a little bit more, and it starts to make a little bit more sense to us, right? This wasn't some kind of wheel, you know, that a couple of guys could roll out of the way. No, this was a mega stone. This is a huge stone that is down into a depression that's fitted for it so it's meant to stay there permanently right so I'm not sure what the women were thinking they were hoping beyond hope that somehow they could get that stone out of the way talk people into moving it out of the way for them but when they got there God had taken care of everything for them already so again you can't really blame um, all these people you can't really blame the soldiers for freaking out they laid there like it said like dead men so they were laying there and it's you know it they were they were um Actually, they shook. They seismode. It's the same word for an earthquake and in in how the guards shook, right? And now they're laying there. Um, these highly trained soldiers, this is like the best army that the world is, one of the best armies the world has ever seen. And these soldiers are laying out because of what they had seen there and what the angel had, had said and what, what the things that he had done. So the point is, they had a supernatural encounter with the power of God. They had a supernatural encounter with the power of God. And my challenge for us on this Easter morning, because what do we get together and talk about, right? What do we talk about? We talk about Jesus coming down from the cross. We talk about Jesus coming out of the tomb. We talk about Jesus conquering death, um, sin, the power of the devil, all those things. And he does that in our lives. He works those things in our lives. So we got to talk about that. And so, first of all, we got to identify it. Maybe it's not as obvious as having a stone rolled away. Maybe it's not as obvious as having an earthquake happen under our feet. But God's power is in each and every one of us. And so how do we go about telling us, uh, telling other people like that? And, you know, the power, the supernatural power of God. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Have, have you felt that in your lives? And when we en encounter that supernatural power of God, it's not always easy to put into words. Like I said, when the women went back to the disciples, it literally says, I would show you the verse, but it literally says that the disciples said that they were babbling. This doesn't make any sense at all. You're not making any sense. And they, again, we got to uh, agree with that because we, the things that they were saying sure didn't make sense at the time. So if you've ever felt frustrated trying to convey how God's power worked in your life, you're in very good company. But there's no getting around this right here. 1 Peter 3.15 says it like this. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Oh, we have it up there. Okay, cool. Always be ready to explain it, right? First of all, worship Lord Christ as the center of your life. Um, so, but that's what I was talking about back here when we said the cross is in the middle. The red cross was in the middle, right? Christ should be at the center of our lives, right? If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Even if it's the power of God that is so impossible to explain, we still got to be able to tell it. Right? Even if an angel rolls a stone away, in our, you still got to be able to explain it. Even if you encounter Jesus on your way to tell somebody about something, you've got to be able to explain it a little bit. So as we turn that gem in our hands, as we turn that gem in our hands, and we see the things that God says, we got to remember, we got to remember the things that Jesus promised. Right? And that he said he would do, right? He said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we going to remember? We're about to experience some communion back here in a second here. How are we going to remember what he did? 
These are moments that we have to be able to share with one another. Others talk about Jesus. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed by the mega events that God moves in our lives, how he does the things that he does in our lives. It's, it's hard to be able to, to sound coherent when we're trying to share that with others, but they need to hear it. They need to be able to hear your testimony. But it always comes back to that gem. It always comes back to that gem that we've been talking about all week and turning God's words around in our hands, right? Hands in our minds. The ancient rabbi said it had 70 faces, 70 facets to scripture. And if we're diligent, if we're persistent while we're reading and while we're getting through this, we might get a glimpse of what God is really trying to say to us and really what God is trying to show us. And that's his power in our lives. And then if we can ground ourselves, if we can ground ourselves long enough, right, we can share it maybe with somebody else. We can take that, we can celebrate, arguably today, we arguably celebrate the greatest day in the history of the world. So do yourself a favor when you get home this afternoon or when you go about your week, because that's what Lent has been all about, growing closer to God. How do we do that? We read his word and we turn that gem in our hands. Amen? All right, would you please stand with me?